Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women, women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our scripture this morning is from Acts 11 verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and brothers and sisters who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of the Lord. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as, he, as, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Ooh, it's like deja vu. I feel like I was, just, oh no, I was just up here. <laughs> the key here is to always ask people to read scripture before you tell them that you're giving them 18 verses to read. <laughs> Thanks, John. 
Um, well, again, I'm Kara. I'm on the preaching team here at Genesis, and it has been a minute, I feel like, since I've been up here. We had our, ex our experiment in January, February, March, so we had fewer teaching opportunities, and feels good to be up here with all of you today. So thank you for being a church that welcomes a variety of voices and perspectives today. So I've always liked the really kind of weird stories in scripture, the ones that evoke an image that linger kind of long after you read them. I was a really, well, I've said this before, but I was a really nerdy kid, uh, especially when it came to church stuff. So I had this um, good news Bible that had a gold cover and I loved to flip through it and find the weirdest passages when I was supposed to be listening to my Sunday school teacher, but that's beside the point. I loved the stories of like demon-possessed pigs that would <laughs> run off a cliff or Elijah getting his feelings hurt by the kids that called him baldhead and so then he curses them and some bears come out and eat the kids up. <laughs> I loved those stories because <laughs> they piqued my curiosity. I could imagine myself in the stories a little bit. I mean, not the one with the bears because that seemed like too much, but. I wondered how these stories made it into this book of these sacred texts, right? And good stories are like that, aren't they? They kind of capture our imagination. They kind of move us beyond intellect and reason. They stay with us. And today we journey into the book of Acts. And these are stories of the beginning of the early church, from Jesus' ascension all the way through Paul's trials. And in it, we get this sense of urgency and movement of the Holy Spirit. And we see how this tiny sect within Judaism, this tiny group of folks called Christianity, kind of grows and spreads. And our passage today from Acts 11 is full of what I like to think of as good story stuff. There's some interpersonal drama. There are, there are visions of animals in the sky. God's voice is there. There are these strangers that come as emissaries to escort Peter. There's a dinner party, there's the Holy Spirit moving in their midst. Interestingly, if you were to read chapter 10 preceding this, it's the same story. It's just the unabridged version. And in, Luke, in Luke's second telling of the story, Peter, he provides a testimony to the council of church leaders in Jerusalem. So word has gotten back that Peter was like doing a thing outside. And as soon as he gets back, they're waiting for him. I don't know if you've ever been the recipient of one of those phone calls or emails or texts that's like, hey, could we talk? Let's, can we grab a cup of coffee? If you have experienced that, let me tell you now, at least for me, when I ask somebody if they want to get together and chat, I say upfront, it's not like a weird judgy church thing, I promise. You start out in this conversation that might seem innocent enough, and then suddenly you're in the hot seat. Well, Peter's in the hot seat here. Some of the believers are very concerned about Peter eating and staying with the Gentiles. But we also see that their criticism of Peter's actions are really um, echoed in the fact that even he was hesitant to do this, right? I mean, Peter has got some real gumption here to be like, no God, like to, to continually deny God in this vision and be like, oh no, I cannot do that thing. God's telling him to eat non-kosher foods and he is supposed to go and visit a non-kosher household. And that's a big deal. 
So Peter, he lays out to them his story. He doesn't defend his actions, but he tells them instead about the actions of God, what he sees God doing in his midst. And Peter says, who was I to hinder God? And in a surprising turn of events, one that I haven't always experienced in the life of those conversations, the angry believers were silenced. And they replied, wow, God has given even to those folks the repentance that leads to life. So let's talk about Peter for a moment. Peter, um, I don't know, I like to Google images of like what I imagine people might look like or artists rendering. So I was Googling Peter, people's different images of Peter this week. And for some reason, Peter in my head was either like the rock rock, because he's called the rock, right? Um, or like Jason Momoa or something, however you pronounce his name. So here we have Peter, okay? He's called the rock upon which the early church was founded. He, had, he was the one that was leading the followers of Jesus. He'd been the first to realize that Jesus was also the Messiah, and he was charged with taking care of the flock. Peter was a Jewish Christian, and he knew the, the Levitical codes for purity and food laws. He knew the rules, he knew the parameters, and somehow God changed his mind. This encounter, as told in Acts 10 and 11, it was a turning point for Peter and for the early church. Because up until this encounter, the early church believed that Gentiles would have to be purified in order um, to join the ranks of the other Christians. So they'd have to be circumcised, they'd have to observe the Torah, which means keeping purity laws, and that way they could be initiated into the community of new believers. Barbara Brown Taylor, who's one of my favorite pastors and theologians, wrote that there kind of is, it's difficult for most of us to understand just what a big deal this would have been for the people in the early church. I mean, many of us have eaten bacon our whole lives. And if you do, I mean, bacon is delicious. And we wouldn't think twice about combining meat and dairy, right? But if we were first century Jews, that idea would like make us break out into a cold sweat. It'd be like coming to church and instead of finding bread and juice on the altar, we had like pork chops and whiskey or something. I know. I thought about that example and then I was like, I would go to that church. <laughs> so Peter ends up transgressing those kosher food laws. He, in doing so, the exclusion of Gentiles from table fellowship. And then he spurns this very central idea to Judaism that it's the only unique way to follow God. To accept Peter's story means that the dream of the early church has to kind of get bigger. And it's going to include these uncircumcised Gentiles. And really, that's a lot to wrap your head around. Centuries of church history have shown us we didn't do a great job of learning from that and living into that vision, right? Instead of inhabiting these wider circles of welcome, we've kind of created these like much smaller boxes and higher barriers to keep others out. The times that I've stepped away from like the big C church or the little C local church have been really because of the barriers they've erected. The times when they failed to ask, who are we to hinder God? Instead, they made the table, 
both the table of hospitality and the communion table, they made them really exclusive. And depending on the faith community I was part of, there was only one who was just on the outside, right? So the Lutherans thought the Catholics were out and vice versa. The evangelicals thought that a lot of people were out. Many churches have historically said that LGBTQ folks were out. Progressives think that conservatives are out and vice versa. And it's felt always so disingenuous to me, really contrary to God's plan, that we would always cast people in the role of the unclean other. We see in Acts 11 that it shouldn't be this way. As we let this, pa this passage kind of settle in our bones for a few minutes, let's consider that three things are taking place in the story. One, that, it, it, that there is power in our story. Two, that the table of hospitality and communion are central. And that the love of God is wild and expansive. So there was a time in my life when I was deeply engaged in Christian apologetics. Um, I've talked about high school Kara before, but this is unsurprisingly high school Kara. And um, if you don't know what apologetics are, it's this, I'm going to use the real phrase here because it sounds so engaging, systematic argumentative discourse in defense of Christian faith, right? That sounds so fun. Like you would all come to a class that I was like, let's do this, right? I was determined to win people for Jesus all through my salient arguments and evidence that demanded a verdict. I carried around Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, and I had both my well-worn copy and several in my bag to hand out to people because I was like, gonna win people for Jesus. But we shouldn't be surprised at all that my endeavors were not successful in winning converts. And my goodness, if it is possible to trigger yourself within your own sermon, I think I did just that with a lot of the words I used. Oh, oh deep breath. I should have known better, right? Not because we shouldn't say why we believe what we believe, but because the reason I was even in a faith community at that point was because I saw how kind the people were. I saw how much they cared about each other. I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to belong. It was because of their story and their connection to one another. The story and connection of Jesus. The stories of people I knew who were experiencing the transformative love of Jesus, and it made me want that too. And it made me appreciate how God was moving in our midst. So Peter shares a story instead of an argument. He had a dream. He clearly did not want to accept that dream, but God spoke to him in it. And then, he con then God confirms this dream, which, oh boy, do I wish that we got more of those kind of stories with like a lot of like, here's the thing, and then here's confirmation, you're on the right track. But God spoke to him, confirmed that dream that these strangers and Cornelius and his family, Cornelius is not named in chapter 11, but that's who it is. We know that from chapter 10. As an aside, Cornelius is an excellent name. And if we have a pet hamster, it will be named Cornelius. Peter bore witness to what was happening in their midst. And in doing so, he removed barriers for himself and the believers of the early church. But we don't take time often to tell others our stories, do we? Our friends, our families, our kids. The stories of how we've experienced God. 
I love this passage from this commentary I read, which is called Feasting on the Word. And this week they talked about how we do not tell stories because we don't want to appear manipulative or self-righteous. We don't tell our stories because we don't want to speak of holy places and times for which words are inadequate. We don't want to appear weird or fanatical, so we keep our stories to ourselves, telling them only in the most careful contexts and in the most measured ways. But I think there's a reason why New Beginning Sunday in January is a favorite here at Genesis Church. Because in, on New Beginning Sunday, we hear from one another about the ways that God is new, doing a new beginning in us, in us. And I think we love that so much because in part that, it's, that we want to hear the good news from one another, that God is present and working in our midst. These stories don't have to have a tidy bow of theological reflection. They don't need to be quippy or silly or funny or super deep. They're just merely a way for us to offer to one another an accounting of what we've seen in our midst. So what if we learned simply to be good storytellers to one another, leaving the rest up to the Holy Spirit about what happens with our stories? We're not telling stories to try to like reel you in, you know. We're simply telling you a story because this is what we've seen and this is what we've experienced. We change. Peter's story changed the life of the early church and our stories change us and change us now. And we change when we see the Holy Spirit at work in the stories of others, recognizing that the same spirit that moves in us is the one that moves in each other's lives. All right, I had, a, I had an all play that was a big question mark for me this week because I feel like it puts people a little bit on the spot. And if no one has anything to say to this, it is okay. But I am so curious where you've experienced God. Where have you seen God moving in your midst? I'm going to try to hold some silence and let somebody talk if they want to talk. In the sunrise. In the sunrise. Here. Sorry, what? Somehow always having enough. Thank you. I didn't pull up my little Zoom. I don't know if there's anybody on Zoom. Well, there are a few of you on Zoom. Hello, Zoomers. Um, I see God in our midst. Well, I kind of get a, I get a bird's eye view a lot because I get to hear from so many of you about what new things are happening. But I also get to experience them, and I know that we probably bring this, I, this point up a lot, but um, volunteering with Brothers Empowered, I mean, you guys. Like, it's, there are things that are outside my comfort zone, for sure. Like, you know, we don't always get started on time. That's a hard thing for me. I'm trying to learn to let that go. Or not knowing what I'm supposed to do, right? Because I'm not in charge or a leader of it. I'm just there to notice and to help where I can. And you guys, there are some awesome things that God has been doing and is continuing to do in the midst of this group of adults and kids. And we have the invitation to kind of like come alongside 
And while we think we're giving, we're also like seriously receiving, right? I see some nodding Pam, yeah, Pam knows. Um, and it's hard to quantify. I've also seen, we have a member of our congregation who um, is one of the volunteers with this group. And you guys, this guy is lighting up with excitement. He like kind of vibrates with like joy and enthusiasm because he has found a way to connect and believes in what he sees God is doing in a way that has made him come alive. And if that isn't so cool <laughs> to see somebody become so animated by the wild work that God does. Secondly, in this story, we're reminded of the importance of table, of both gathering to share a meal and also the table of fellowship where we experience the Eucharist. In Acts 11, there's a feast that's offered to a hungry Peter. Now in, 11, in chapter 11, it says that he was, you know, just praying. Chapter 10, it tells us he was real hungry and then he had this trance. So I just also want to say he was hungry, right? He wasn't just praying, he was hungry. He was hungry and it was a feast, even though he was starving, he knew he couldn't partake in. And the invitation for Peter in, in his vision becomes an invitation that's larger for Peter to accept a visit to the home of Cornelius. And there were rules for this interaction, right? In, in addition to the, the stipulations about food. Laws kind of told you what a Jew could, who they could eat with. The act of breaking bread together was a sacred moment. It was a time of solidarity. It was a space that was a spiritual moment where God was present. And so you could not render profane by eating with people who are considered unclean. And God shifts that understanding for Peter. And perhaps it might be a reminder for us too to notice where we fail to include others, both at our dining room tables and at the Lord's table. Who is missing? Who is present but still kept at arm's length? One of the things I love about Genesis is that we practice an open table for communion, meaning all who want God should meet God here. Because exclusion from the table feels devastating. There have been several times when I have not been welcome to take communion um, in Christian faith communities where I did not profess the correct theology. I once had an elder who was a family member have to go to the pastor before service and ask for special permission for me to take communion with the rest of my family because I was in a different denomination. The fact that I needed special dispensation to come and receive the good gift of the bread and the cup felt like such a downer that day. Our proximity to one another removes barriers. And so let us strive to be people who create more space for others to partake at the table, whether it's in our homes or whether it's at the communion table. We have to continue to ask who's not here and how can I create pathways for them to belong? Lastly, we can hold a reminder from our story in Acts. God draws ever circling, ever widening circles of welcome. To quote Richard Rohr, by way of my friend Steve, everything and everyone belongs. And that belonging can be unsettling. Inclusion can be disruptive. And being inclusive doesn't mean that we have to accept unjust actions or systems of oppression. 
Indeed, we still have to do the work to acknowledge and upend injustice and violence. But we can also do that while not calling one another unclean or unworthy. We can remember that God's image resides in all of us. Because if God is only the God of people who look like you or think like you, then God is not the God of all creation. If God is only the God of people who act appropriately or come to church on Sunday or who vote a certain way, then God is not the God of all creation. And humility and curiosity are these critical tools for us in removing the barriers to God's circle of inclusion. Because we need to have humility to say to one another and to say to God, huh, I think I was wrong about that thing. Or I think there's something new that you're showing me. Where are the places that you might need to consider that God is doing a new thing? And if that feels lonely or scary, guess what? You don't have to do that alone. Sometimes the very best posture that we can take is to come to another person, probably tentatively, and say, I've kind of been noticing this thing. I wonder what's going on. There's a shift taking place in me or something I'm noticing, and I don't know what that means. Lean into the community, whatever your community is. If it's here, if it's a small group of folks, if it's one other person, if it's Twitter, if it's whatever, lean into that community and ask curious and humble questions. You might not make the leap into fully embracing whatever that new thing is, right? Sometimes it's baby steps, sometimes it's just steps into a new place. But the posture itself is one of a growth mentality as we recognize that our God is one of transformation. And that transformation doesn't happen when we dig in our heels and we refuse to notice, when we refuse to ask honest questions or to get curious about what's happening in our midst. The expansive love of God's love is scandalous. It is downright scandalous insofar as it erases our neat and tidy categories because when we embrace a vision that's bigger than ourselves, our categories of who's in and who's out no longer work for us. We get to experience our own Pentecost moment when that happens. And under the scandalous ethic of God's love, we're redeemed and reconciled to one another, not in a Pollyanna, both sides, kind of agree to disagree sort of way, but in a disruptive, course-altering, transformative way that leads to the fuller understanding and likeness of Jesus. Peter, Cornelius and his household, and those concerned believers all experience this in a profound way in the book of Acts. And we continue to experience that in our midst today. The very good news of God in the person of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit is one that is defined by love, not rules, not expectations, not a set of traditions or a particular collection of people. The good news is love. And we gather together to proclaim, to proclaim that love, to notice it in our daily hours, extend it to all we encounter. The wild and expansive love of God will surprise us. It will enliven us. And if we let it, it, let it, it will transform our lives. Here at Genesis, we had to leave our denomination last year because we as a community said, who are we to hinder God? 
Who are we to hinder God in the full and expansive love and welcome of the triune God? We were told we couldn't live that same radical inclusion and still be at the denominational table of fellowship any longer. I still have a lot of big feelings (laughs) about the denomination of my youth. But it's mostly a deep, deep sadness because as an entity, as a structure, the ECC doesn't get to bear witness to the big, beautiful, and transformative things that God is and has and continues to do in and through the lives of our LGBTQ siblings in Christ. And so we as a small church continue on in proximity of the new and lovely work that God is doing in our midst, making space at our table, learning and growing in community and with full welcome, all whom God loves and all whom God calls children. Without reservation, without partiality, the Spirit of God blows where it will. And who are we to hinder the very goodness of God? I want to invite you this week to notice in your midst where the expansive and welcoming love of God is at work. It'll require a little bit of that humility on your part, some intentionality and some openness on your part. Perhaps even a little acknowledgement that kind of you missed it before. And if you feel bold enough, tell someone else. Tell one other person. You need somebody to tell, you can text me or grab me after worship. We are, as a community, transformed by and through the power of God's Spirit and our ability to bear witness to that very, very good work. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If If you you find find yourself nearby nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you have have any any questions questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.